Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Cobiello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I'm Deb Coviello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am so grateful you've joined us for another episode of the podcast where I am graced with speaking with amazing leaders week after week who share their insights with you and perhaps inspire you. And if you love this episode, and I know you will, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell others so that many can benefit from great programming. And just know I am here for you to serve the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow, navigate their challenges with confidence. And today, it is my honor to bring onto the show, Carrie Siggins. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. And I am as well. And this is the beauty of the network. Shout out to Neil Thompson, who introduced us as somebody that I got to interview and bring her story forward. But more importantly, what inspires me is that she is the CEO of her own company that has realized amazing success and invests so much in her people and emphasizes self-leadership and transformation. And so those are topics near and dear to my heart. But I want you to tell the world, my community, your story. Tell us a little bit about Carrie Siggins and what you do that really makes a difference. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. So I live in Durango, Colorado, one of the most beautiful, amazing places on earth. I'm so grateful to live here. And I got here by way of substance abuse issues. I overdosed on Labor Day of 2006. And as I was picking myself up off the floor because I couldn't go to work, I could barely get into my bed. That was it. I knew I had to change my life. I knew that I was capable of so much more, but I didn't understand why I was making the decisions that I was making. And so um, I was living in Austin, Texas at the time. My mom lived in Durango. I grew up in Colorado. I called her and I told her everything. And she said, yes, you can come home, but you have got to figure out your life. I've always been very career focused, very driven, a hyper achiever. And so I knew I wanted to be a leader and I had always been a leader in all of my roles. I just lived this like very dual life of being a high functioning addict and trying to climb the corporate ladder, so to speak. Anyway, it all came crashing to a head on Labor Day of 2006. When I got to Durango, I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with my life? Here I am trying to recover from an overdose figure out my addiction. I had $100,000 in credit card debt. I'm living with my mother. I had just turned 28 years old. Like this is not success. And I didn't have a job. And so I was looking in the newspaper. This is back in 2006 in a small town. You know, that's what you do in a newspaper. And Stone Age, the company I am the CEO of, was looking for a general manager. And I had never managed a group of people before. I had never run a company, but I had an engineering degree and I had been in operations management and manufacturing. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply for it. And even if I don't get it, maybe it'll be my foot in the door for another role within the company. 
And I met with the founders who are both Colorado School of Mines graduates, which is where I went to college. And they decided to take a huge risk and hire me, even though I was so inexperienced, but they just saw drive and passion. And I know they saw things in me that I didn't really honestly see myself back then. So they gave me a chance. And so I started 16 years ago here just this month in January. And yeah, it's been a wild ride. So that's my story of how I got to where I am. It is a totally wild, crazy story. And it still blows me away when I tell it because it's hard to imagine like literally three months after an overdose that I am starting a job where I have to learn how to run a company. But hands down, it saved my life. And doing all the work of understanding, I've done so much self-work But having that job to anchor where I could find my purpose, it saved my life. There's no doubt. And this is why I brought you onto the show, because so many of those points resonate with what I say to my audience all the time. I've got three or four questions that have come out of that, but thank you for sharing that. It is inspirational because in our lives and our careers, we have these ups and downs. But when we take a pause and reflect and realize what we are good at or what we love to do, taking a chance on ourselves first so that others can take a chance on you is really what matters. But I just have a question because what I felt was you talked about being like an A1 personality, super driven, you are good at your craft, and then it became a detriment. And I'm curious, knowing that behavior, behaviors are hard to change, how have you managed that drive and energy such that it doesn't repeat itself just as it has in the past? That's a great question. One, it's understanding where that drive is coming from and the types of behaviors that it makes you want to exhibit. So when I was young, my father left and he was in and out of my life and I was constantly trying to make him love me. And so when you're seeking attention all the time, it changes your outlook on life, right? It's like childhood trauma of I'm not lovable. I have to do these things to be lovable. So starting at, you know, four years old, I was always trying to be lovable. And that manifested itself in negative ways because I found attention when I got in trouble, when I pushed boundaries and I'm a natural born leader and I could take people in a really great direction or they could go run right off the cliff with me. And so I didn't really understand like that about myself. I didn't understand that at the time that I was seeking approval, seeking love because I didn't feel that way. And so now how I manage my drive because it's still there is that I am grounded in who I am. I understand myself and for the first time, well, you know, it's been now a decade since I've really been able to say I love myself. And then I'm not doing it for other people. I'm doing it for me. And then it's so much more manageable because I can say no to things and I can say yes to things that are my passion, that are living my dreams. And so then even though the drive is there, it's very fulfilling. But when you're doing it for other people, it drives you off of a cliff. And that's what happened to me. That's what I did to myself, I should say. Amazing point. Definitely listen to what is it that brings you joy and satisfaction and don't do it for others. If others happen to benefit from it and realize it and acknowledge you, so the better. 
Now you brought up another thing and I hear this over and over again from up and coming leaders that, well, I can't do that. I've never done that before. But in your story, you said, well, I need a job. <laughs> so there was a burning platform and you said, let me apply for this GM position, even though I've never managed people. What was it about that moment in your mind or heart that says, well, I'm still going to take a risk? So I had a boss who once told me, he was the only good boss that I ever had. And he told me never, ever, ever wait for anybody else to give you something in your career. You are in charge of your career. And so, and I have told a million people that too. And so that was in my head. And even though I was a mess and even though I hated myself, like I was like, that's the job I want. There was something about it that spoke to me. And so I just remember him telling me, you're in charge of your career, you go for it and don't leave it up to anybody else. And so that's what gave me the courage to apply for it. And so we just have soundbite after soundbite. We are going to keep going here because you are so full of inspiration and just validating a lot of the things that I say to the C-suite leaders of tomorrow. When I say C-suite leaders, it's not necessarily you are going to lead other people, but you are meant to have vision, to be able to create strategy and move people and influence change and transformation. Now, I do want to just ask the question, these people that took a chance on you that says, you got a lot of drive and passion. We believe in you. How did that manifest over time? I'm sure you weren't successful out of the gate. What were some highs and lows you might have had during this early opportunity? So I have to just say the two founders of Stone Age, they are the most generous, forward-thinking men I've ever met. And I have so much respect and gratitude for them. So I had my, most of my life, I have BS my way through things because I was always trying to like make people like me. And so like, if I didn't know something, I never said I didn't know it. Yes, I didn't. Oh yeah, sure. And then I would like go and like back then, like look it up in the dictionary and make sure that I understood now with Google and all of that whole thing of like literally just like BSing my way through life, trying to be what people needed me to be ultimately caused, you know, my final breakdown. So when I got this job, two things. One, there's no way I could BS my way through this. I had never run a company before. And two, I was committed to changing this about myself. I was a fraud. I, I hated pretending that I was somebody I wasn't. So when I started, I just had this deep commitment to myself to not BS my way through it. And so how I started and what caused my initial success was I just asked people what they thought. What do you think? Why do you think this is a problem? How do you think we should solve this problem? I didn't come in and try to prove myself and prove my knowledge and prove my worth because it was obvious that I was young. I was 28. I had not led a company before. Okay, let's all be real here. But that was amazing because what happened in a very short period of time we started solving real challenges that the company was facing and all of my team felt like they were included. We were implementing their ideas. I was just a conduit to make it happen. And so that was the key to my early success. And it's still a key to my success. I ask questions. My favorite question is, well, what do you think? Like, I never give my opinion first. Well, that's not true. You know, sometimes I do. And I have to stop myself sometimes. But what do you think? What do you think we should do? That was just such a powerful tool. And I didn't know that I was employing that. It wasn't like a, on purpose of like, oh, this is how I'm going to be successful. It was just like, okay, this is how I'm going to survive. So that's the biggest thing for success. So many mistakes. But I think wherever I look at the reason why my biggest missteps happened, it's always because I moved too fast. 
And I'm a risk taker. I'm a boundary pusher. And I'm okay with fixing stuff. Like, well, you know, we're just gonna live on the edge. And like, you know, if it doesn't work, okay, well, fine. We'll just, you know, we'll figure it out. Well, you know, 75% of the people on the planet are not okay with that. And so every time I screwed up, it was because I got over the tips of my skis. I wanted to make a fast decision. I didn't have enough information. I wanted to implement something and we didn't have a solid plan. And I took something personally instead of pausing for a moment and being curious. It's always those like impulsive, let's just move, 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 move reactions. So that's the crux of most of my mistakes is I move really fast. So it's one of those things. And I, again, we all have to reflect on what we do well and where are our challenges. But you talk about two different superpowers for which then mostly serve you and sometimes do bite you. So when you talked about you BS your way through things, I say that as being creatively resourceful because (laughs) ask questions, Google it, look at the dictionary. You were resourceful. And with that can-do attitude, that's a positive. But if you can do, 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 do too fast, I love what you said, misstep versus is mistake. Mistake is very personal. You're hard on yourself, but a misstep is more of a course correction that I talk about in my book, The CEO's Compass. We need to take a few more risks and not worry so much about the missteps. (laughs) If you have a supportive infrastructure, they're going to rally around you and be able to say, okay, let's make that correction. We've learned something. Let's move on. Can I just tell you real quick? I'm really glad you said that because I don't use the word mistake. I always use misstep because we can always like, you're so right. The mistake is like, oh God, I screwed up. Or if it's just a misstep, like, great. Okay. You can just take another step. So I think it's a really powerful word. And I'm glad that you caught that. And I'm also glad that you brought it up because if we just look at everything in life as missteps, then it's so much easier to bounce back and be resilient and love yourself despite the missteps that you take. I am interrupting this episode to offer an absolutely free networking and educational opportunity I have created and I want you to be there. If you're a mid-level manager that loves your team and has a desire to accelerate your leadership growth, it is possible for you to become that executive leader in the next 24 months. Regardless of your area of specialty, and I know so many of you are talented, you have what it takes to be on the front line collaborate with others, and get the job done. However, let me show you how to leverage that specialized knowledge to create solid connections with other leaders while shifting your focus from day-to-day leadership skills to long-term CEO strategy. Head over to my website, dropinceo.com, and click on the Drop-In CEO Collective to register for your next meeting. Now, back to the conversation. Now, I want to give you an opportunity. You are now the CEO of Stone Age, and I want to give you an opportunity just to let people know what is it that this company does and how does it serve people? So we make high-pressure water blasting equipment, which is basically high-tech squirt guns. It's the best way to like describe it. <laughs> Our tools harness the power of water to be able to clean the world's dirtiest places. So chemical plants, refineries, shipyards, plastics, 
chemical companies, food processing companies, uh, plants. Our products use high pressure water and people all around the world use them to clean these industrial type facilities. So ultra high pressure water, it can kill you. Very, very, very dangerous. But water blasting is an incredibly important aspect of supply chain. Everything that we use comes from an industrial facility that has to be cleaned to be able to manufacture it. New tires on my Jeep today. Well, those tires have to be crude. That gets refined then goes into a rubber manufacturing plant. And all along that way, that supply chain, that production equipment has to be cleaned. And we're the world leader in these types of products. Well, I'm certainly glad that I know you because I have grown up in the last 15 or 18 years in the flavor and fragrance industry, chemical processing that goes eventually into the food chain or the chemical chain. And sanitation is critical, not only the chemicals, but also being able to get into those hard to reach places such that we don't harbor any pathogens or any growth that could be detrimental to humans. So I'm glad I got to know you and know a little bit more about that company. So the reason why I wanted to bring you onto the show was about just your leadership insights. But before we go there, just you now, you are the CEO of a company. I do want to hear about all the great things you do in terms of leadership, but what keeps you up at night now? What are some of the challenges you see for yourself either now or in the coming years? So what honestly, what keeps me up at night isn't the challenges because I feel like that's what we do as CEOs. Like, you know, you're going to get thrown curveballs and I don't spend my time worrying about things that are out of my control. I set my company up to be very well run. We are very profitable. We are agile. We can pivot if we need to. And the world's going to throw things at you. No one expected COVID and we did it and you have to just figure it out. So those types of things don't keep me up. The two things that keep me up at night are if I'm not doing right by my employees, like if I make a mistake and I hurt somebody's feelings, if I move too fast, if I have to have a hard conversation, I put a tremendous amount of time consideration and pressure on myself to do those well, because I'm that big believer, right? People don't remember what you do. They remember how you make them feel. (laughs) And I want everybody, even if it's a hard conversation, even if I have to fire somebody to feel seen, heard, respected, honored as a fellow human being. So most of the time when I'm awake, It's because I have to have a tough conversation or I blew a conversation and I'm upset with myself about it because I didn't leave that person feeling special heard, seen, even if it was difficult. And that's very interesting because I'll often hear things about your market growth or supply chain issues, but focusing on doing right by people in good times and bad times is important because not only you're respecting their feelings, but also it does have an impact. It shows that you're human. That's the emotional piece. Like the rest of that to me, that's like the CEO's job. Like that's what you do. And I've learned, I've been doing this for 13 years now. And so, you know, I've learned like, we're going to figure it out. And so I don't lose sleep over it. I deal with that during the day. And then I put it aside because that is what you do as a CEO. (laughs) That's your job. And you are not your job. Like you, then I come home and I'm a mom and I'm a wife and I want to have my own life. And I'm not going to be consumed about, you know, supply chain issues in China, even though it's affecting my business. Absolutely. But that is not what I'm going to take home every single night and have it make me lose sleep. Doesn't mean I don't worry about it. It doesn't mean that it's not challenges. Doesn't mean that we have to pivot and do all the things that we have to do. But yeah, what gets me is 
how I make other people feel. I just love that. And that's why I brought you on the show is about being leaders is a hard job and you can learn the hard skills and the soft skills. This podcast is to help people learn the soft skills as well. But at the end of the day, it is about elevating people while in the process of doing the tactical and strategic work. So, so appreciate that. But I also now want to move into the area where you're so passionate. You are so passionate about self-leadership and making significant transformational change in organizations. Please share with us a little bit more about your insights. So self-leadership is everything. Self-leadership is how we lead ourselves. And we're always doing it, whether we're doing it well or whether we're doing it poorly. And when I realized what self-leadership was, it was actually a really good friend of mine. He was the person in Austin who helped me like get myself together to be able to move home. And he said, you cannot lead others until you start to lead yourself. You have so much potential, but you are a terrible self-leader right now. And I had never heard the word self-leader. And so, you know, I was like, go look it up and figure it out. I was like, oh my God, yes. Like that is the key to everything. We are always leading ourselves. So that's how I changed my life is that I took responsibility for myself. I am the reason why I am in this situation, right? Not my dad, not my circumstances, not the drug dealers, not bad bosses, me. I am the person who's responsible for this. And when you start to take that type of responsibility, you can change your life. So I speak on self-leadership all the time because it is what transforms us. When we do that work to be good self-leaders, whether you are a leader of people or whether you're a individual contributor leader in your organization, you are going to make a bigger impact. You're going to have more opportunities. You are going to provide more value to your teammates. You're going to be a better teammate if you own that. So That is the foundation for everything, in my opinion. And it's how we show up every day. It's how we give feedback. It's how we take feedback. It's how we take care of ourselves. It's how we hold ourselves accountable and others accountable. It's just life. It's living life. But most of us go through it blindly, like not ever having even heard the word self-leadership. And so we're not living our life by design, leading ourselves by design. We're doing it by accident. And it's so much more fulfilling when you get to do it on purpose, by design. So this podcast is meant to serve the listeners as a do-it-yourself opportunity. So what are one or two actionable tips that they could say, oh, I can do that on a path for self-leadership? What are some things that they could do right now? Yeah. So two things. One, self-care. Self-care is a discipline, not a luxury. And if we are not taking care of ourselves, we cannot take care of others. And in this day and age with all the mental health issues that are going on and people feeling burned out, we need to take care of ourselves. We need to set boundaries. We need to get exercise. We need to do the things that bring us joy that we say, this is what self-care is to me. Because when you feel good about yourself and when you're taking care of yourself, then you're in a better mood. You are able to handle stress better. You have more energy. You're clear-headed. So self-care is a discipline, not a luxury. That is something that we all need to do more of. The world will be a better place. So in that process, once we have our own self-leadership and we're in a good place, you talk about being passionate about transforming organizations or maybe people. So tell us a little bit more about that work as well. Yeah. So I didn't ever really understand this about myself until I was older, but I have the ability to take something from nothing and turn it into something. So when I decided I was going to go to Colorado School of Mines, I was 16 years old. I was in trouble. My mom told me, 
when you are 18 years old, you're out of this house. I don't care if you work at Walmart for the rest of your life, like your behavior is unacceptable. And my mother is my best friend and she is part of me saving my life, but she had had it with me and rightfully so. And that is when I said, oh my God, people are seeing me as a loser. She don't think I'm going to college. She's like, no, I don't think you're going to college. So I put my head down and I said, I'm going to go to Colorado School of Mines. I'm good at math. I don't know what an engineer does, but it's hard school to get into. And I'm going to get a softball scholarship. And I did that. I put together a tape with all of my plays, you know, your whole sizzle reel. I called the coach and told her I wanted to play there. I got my grades up so that I could get into mines. That was like my first realization of like transforming my life. When I came to Durango, right? I'm recovering from an overdose. I know I want to change my life. I remember what my boss tells me. I take that risk on myself. I apply for that job. And they gave it to me. And so I transformed again. And then I started learning how to do that in business. You know, I took this little tiny $8 million revenue in company, making manual tools. And now we're building robots that do cleaning. We're going to build a billion dollar company here. And so this whole idea of transformation is something that I didn't understand about myself, but I am incredibly passionate about. And it takes betting on yourself. You cannot transform if you do not bet on yourself. And even though I have been a mess in my life and I have hated myself and have been filled with self-disgust on my decisions and behaviors, I always, always decided to bet on myself. And that is the only way to transform something is you've got to take that risk. You've got to say, I can do this. I can take something from nothing and turn it into something. And so that's why I'm passionate about transformation. Thank you. Just thank you for that. While I do the podcast, it is passion work in service to others. It is also an opportunity to learn from you, hear your stories, and also pick up nuggets that inspire me as well. And so I will share just a little bit right now. When you said, I love turning nothing into something, it is exactly what I say when I decided to go into manufacturing. I was an engineer. This is why we resonate here. I was an engineer. I was a biomedical engineer. Realized I did didn't like working with blood and hospitals and such. But when I took some manufacturing classes in my junior year and we learned how to stack blocks with a robotic arm or mixing and heating water and using all Fortran programming language, I'm dating myself here, but it was being able to turn nothing into something. And that's the crux of what manufacturing is. It's just that transformation. So that's why we resonate here. But you also said betting on yourself. And that is why I am here on this podcast now. I decided to push the button and take a chance on myself. And now we're coming up on almost 300 episodes. And I took a bet on myself. And I am going to be doing it again. I'm going to be doubling down on this podcast. There is going to be more guests, more solos. And I'm going to be investing more into the quality and service to others. Because I believe in this resource to help C-suite leaders now and tomorrow. So thank you for that inspiration and that little bit from the universe saying, Deb, keep going. Love it. Congratulations. Oh my gosh. Like I just have a huge smile on my face. I'm so awesome. <laughs> now, I appreciate it. Hey, we got to stick together here. These uh, strong female professionals, as well as mm -hmm. all professionals that strive to do amazing work and transform people and organizations. Kudos to everybody out there that already does that. Now, 
we are coming to close to the end, but I have to squeeze in one more question. When I read about some of the things that you're passionate about, you talk about executive presence. And I have talked about this on the podcast. I have my drop-in CEO collective or mastermind coming up where we're talking about presence because it was not taught to me as I was ascending up the career ladder. Somebody told me I needed more presence with no coaching. And once I got out of the corporate environment and had to create a business and a brand for myself, I started figuring out what presence was. Please share with us your insights on what is executive presence and why is it important? Oh, it's so important. And I would premise this real executive presence, not real, but like authentic. I try not to use the word authentic because it's so overused. People want real, but they also want professional. When you walk into a room, you want people to respect you. You want people to say, okay, I trust this person, right? We are making a decision about a person in the first three seconds that we know them. And so if you don't have executive presence, if you don't carry yourself with a smile on your face, with good posture, with professionalism, then people are automatically going to discount you, even if you are amazing, amazing. And so it is really important, but you have to also be real. People, they want to work for real people. That's why people love to work for me because I have executive presence, but I am real. I am not afraid to make a mistake. I tripped up the stairs two days ago, carrying coffee, right? Talking with an employee. And he's like, oh my God, I thought you were like going to hit your face right into the stairs. I was like, dude, that'd be awful. Like I'd lose all my teeth, right? Like that is what people want. And so you have to understand how you are going to develop your presence that is authentic, that is real so that people connect with you. But you have to carry yourself in a way that inspires respect, trust, and makes people feel like you are capable of leading. And you can't do that if you are a mess. You know, it's interesting. And it is so important, the external persona, because that's how people profile or judge initially. But what comes out of the mouth also has to be important. And I would love to enrich what you said is because it goes a little bit back to that self-leadership, that self-care. It's not one you have to be physically feel more healthy because that will show on your face. When I'm stressed, people will see it in my face. When I'm not, they say, oh, Deb, did you lose a couple pounds? You look like you just got back from vacation. So there's that little bit of that but it is the internal work. It's that, okay, who am I? Where are my weaknesses? What are my strengths? What do I love? What do I stand for? We want you to come forward with your insights and share them because if you're thinking them and saying them, others probably are thinking it and they may follow and support what you do. So that inside work is important as well as the outside persona and perception. Yep. Totally agree. I always tell people what you say or how you say it actually matters more than what you say. Because if you want to be able to influence, which all of us do, every single person, whether we are introverted or extroverted, whatever our styles all, we all want influence. And so you're right. The external, like how you show up matters to how you're making people feel, but your body language and then how you are saying things all contributes to that. So it does really matter. And that takes a lot of work, especially if you're a person whose responses are in alignment with their initial reactions. Like we all react, but we don't have to respond with that initial reaction. And that's the thought that we have to put into how we say things, because that will be part of how people perceive our executive presence. 
Harry, I have so, so, so enjoyed this interview where we have many similar experiences. I love your energy. I love the work that your company does. I just love all the insights you've shared with our community. But if there were any last closing thoughts that you wanted to share with C-suite leaders of today and those of tomorrow, what would that be? Love yourself. Practice self-leadership. It really is the key to living a fulfilling and inspiring life. It's what helps you go after your dreams. So that would be my biggest piece of advice is know yourself, love yourself, lead yourself. Thank you so much. And Carrie is full of so many resources. She's a speaker. She's an author. She's got a podcast. All of that will be in the show notes. Check out her work. Connect with her. Let her know how you found it. And Carrie, I just want to say thank you for being an amazing guest. And I do wish you continued success. Thank you, Deb. You as well. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this episode valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who would find it useful and inspiring. Your support allows me to keep sharing insights and inspiration to leaders who are working their way to the C-suite. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.